talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome back to another episode of More Like the Worst Wing Our show, we're here now in 2021 We take a look back at formerly Aaron Sorkin's seminal work, The West Wing From a bit more of a modern leftist socialist perspective I am Dave And I am Stu And we are back to our two-episode format this week, because we are still trying to blaze through the god-awful season five. (laughs) Uh, The light is at the end of the tunnel, I think. We're we're only a few episodes away at this point. So the two episodes we are covering, the first one is entitled Talking Points, and the second one is entitled No Exit. And so we'll put off the second one for now and just jump right into Talking Points, which the main thing that this episode is dealing with is a big trade bill yeah it's basically nafta except in Mm -hmm. you know the the west wing universe i don't know if nafta happened blah 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 all this stuff but the equivalent of it i think they've mentioned nafta before so this is like a nafta 2.0 kind of thing yeah so like wto agreements 2000 era and probably inspired Mm -hmm. directly by because we have a lot of protest shots Mm -hmm. in this one as well Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in that earlier episode with the uh, Toby and the mm-hmm. uh, woman from Nip Tuck yep. with the WTO protesters yep. uh, was also a trade-related thing. So similar sort of situation this time where we're not at the protest, we're at the White House, but there's trouble because this trade bill, which is, you know, Josh keeps going around saying free trade creates jobs, creates good, high-paying <laughs> jobs. Well, turns out this one is actually getting rid of about 17 of those high pain 17,000 sorry of those high paying jobs uh like the second the trade bill is signed they're getting shipped off to india well yeah and so just very very high level fundamentally anybody who's listening to this show understands that free trade is actually just code for like allowing continued capital like accumulation Mm -hmm. Because Un- unregulated capitalism. Yeah, yes. because capital knows no borders, and by disallowing l- fluidity of labor movement, it sort of just continues to imbalance the equation towards capital. Whereas if you already have established supply chains, distribution management, you know, branding, all this shit, well, of course you want fucking free trade because you can just go into wherever you want and muscle everybody else out of business it's been happening for hundreds of years so the the economic orthodoxy is just like so so ingrained both in the show i'm sure in its viewers in fucking everybody in the goddamn united states well just this episode does try to kind of show the bad light of free trade because josh goes around the whole time saying no free trade creates jobs and yet throughout the episode has to deal with the actual human face of the job loss that's about to happen uh in america because of this stupid bill yeah it's i think it's interesting because they do it's almost like a sop to that Mm -hmm. the the show clearly as evidenced by papa president has, you know, very strict orthodox economic ideas about this sort right. of thing. And so we get, right. uh, you know, we get well, Josh. It'll, it, it, comes, it comes back around at the end when Bartlett tells Josh that, no, no, this is all good. We really are doing good things. It just, but it's going to have some pain points, you know. And they invoke the uh, old trope of creative destruction. Mm-hmm. Multiple times. Multiple times. Um, so let's do a little bit of the narrative, like how this flows through the thing. Basically, they have this bill and 
eventually the CWA, one union, Rock On, mm-hmm. is comes to the White House or like not comes to the White House, but is out there threatening to show up at the White House being like, you assholes, we're going to lose 17,000 jobs immediately because this one company, um, is it a media company? A pro, a software company. Okay, yeah. They're programming, they're they're programming jobs. I was trying to figure out why they were in the CWA, but you're right. Um, like they're, they're going to offshore, send to India, you know, stereotypical, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. 17,000 low-level... Coding, phone jockey, you know, scripter right. jobs. But, but high, high paying in America yeah. at the moment because this is, you know, 2002 or three or whenever. And, you know, programming still is a very niche skill before yeah. everyone is hashtag learning to code. <laughs> yeah. So um, they, what, what's yeah. interesting, though, is um, I had a point here with the union, union guy, Josh. Shit, I lost it. Go ahead. <laughs> so they come through, um, and the first person that they have that they want to talk to about this is that it's like the head of the lobby for the tech mm-hmm. company, and he's like, <laughs> "This is where Josh has his first has his first ping." Where he's like, um, "The guy comes in, and he's like, no, Josh, it's actually more like three point three million jobs in the next ten years that we're going to move right. offshore." And Josh is like, "Right, we're just we're just doing seventeen thousand today, today on day one." <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So Josh's head explodes. He just says, well, but what? And then there's the most liberal fucking line I've ever heard in this. It's like quintessential. I'm going to put the clip in here because it's so fucking funny. India, which hated the agricultural provisions, hated the light industrial provisions. There's a chance JCN will be moving some programmers there. You can't do this. After everything I negotiated for you? You toughen copyright enforcement. Now it's safer for us to move sensitive programming work overseas. Over time, fine, but not overnight. Where it's like, oh, um, gosh, guys, if if you could just do this destroying of America quietly and over a longer time period, it'd be right. okay. Right, if we could amateurize <laughs> this over like 12 months, you know, I yeah. think... I think it would actually look a lot better for our poll numbers, which are the only thing I care about. <laughs> like, don't don't do this loudly, please. Just do it quietly and politely. And so there's this just fundamental incoherence of what Josh seems to expect and the actual contradictions right. of where this bill is going. I remembered what I was going to say earlier. It's that sure. the, C- the CWA turns out is the first union that the campaign got to endorse them which uh, mm. was the stepping stone or domino to end up getting the AFL-CIO, you know, America's biggest union on board with them, and which helped them win Iowa and get early primary wins and basically got the campaign there. So they're screwing over some of their first supporters here. And that yeah, just like really the, the underpinning. The yeah, the underpinning of their voters, which is, is kind of like, the eventual conclusion that Josh comes around to is that they're really specifically with this bill, like sticking it to the people that got them into office. Mm-hmm. Some of some of the first earliest, most ardent supporters who who risked a lot and put a lot on the line are the ones getting explicitly fucked over here. Yeah, so they, you know, the, the CWA, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Leo has a great line to to dismiss all of this with, well, you campaign in poetry, but you govern in prose, which is the uh, fanciest way of saying we lie to our voters uh, that I've ever heard. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's um, it's really con, like really turbo condescending. Yeah, um, and so they they do a couple things. They go back and forth, and there's a lot of talk, you know, just kind of platitudes delivered about high level economic thought, mm-hmm. and kind of like, oh, we don't but- really have a good answer for any of these problems because mm-hmm. we can only address it within the dominant like economic orthodoxy and our structural analysis is strictly limited to, mm-hmm. well, this stuff just kind of happens. Capitalism's going to do its thing. We're just trying to manage around the edges of it. And it just, it bleeds through so much into another exemplar. And I don't know if this is necessarily deliberate on the part of the show, just a real crystalline example of Josh's stunning naivete, which is, I think contrafactual to how the character has been built up which leads back to like the season five problems right here. yeah why, why is this projected onto josh as a problem that he has he's supposed to be the smooth operator he is right. rom he's right. the merciless one exactly he's the guy who will who will screw over this senator to get a vote and then you know screw over five more all before lunch and and he's supposed to be blown away with like are you saying we made campaign promises we didn't intend to keep? What? Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's a bizarre characterization. You're right, though, that it's effective writing in that early in the episode, Leo's like, hey, we have you on this because you're the deal maker. You're the guy who gets deals done. And Josh is like, that's me. I'm the deal maker. And he goes <laughs> off to Go make the deal happen. And then the deal happens and he finds out all the awful consequences of it with the 17,000 jobs and the CWA and everything. And then he goes back to Leo and he's like, oh, this is awful. And there, and Leo's like, yeah, I know. That's why we had you do it. You're the deal maker. Which, which is, and it was the, the part of this episode that stood out to me the most was kind of that nice arc from, mm-hmm. you know, you say almost exactly the same line to Josh twice. Mm-hmm. Once when he is being told to do it and praised for being able to do it. And then again, when he's like crushed that he had to take care of this awful task on behalf of the administration. And they're like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, we used you yeah. to <laughs> do what we know you're good at. Right. They're like, that's what you're for. You know, that's, yeah. that's exactly what we use you for. And in a, in a more continuous character development, this would seems to me that as, as a smart man, this would be like a radicalization point for Josh. Josh well, would... One would think. <laughs> jo- Josh, as, as a brain haver and a smart doer, would take this particular experience and internalize it quite a bit. Because if it's anything about Josh, his ego is the size of a fucking mountain. And being used mm-hmm. in this way seems like... And, you know, again, I'm kind of projecting. Mm-hmm. It seems like he would be extra upset. One, yeah, you would think, yeah. But yeah, he's he's happy to go into things eyes open, but he doesn't like being, you know, screwed b- about something. And that's essentially what happened here. Yeah. And then, you know, it kind of wraps up with a, with a fucking Bartlett soliloquy at the end about, oh, you know, the evolutionary nature of capitalism. Right. And right. oh my gosh, like, the uh, world's like, moving faster. We gotta actu- move with it. We're actually super improving these developed countries where we're gonna farm out these jobs where they're gonna have to make anti-suicide nets on the factory. These, yeah, are, the, these are the good jobs. 
Yeah, we're going to be paying these people three times the average wage, and that average wage is a buck fifty a day. <laughs> right, nineteen cents, so it's going up to seventy-eight cents, which they would kill for. It turns out. <laughs> Let's pat ourselves on the back here, and I think just kind of the the specific line, like the world is moving faster. I hear it a lot. It's just it is the ultimate capitulation to capital yeah. as the true governing body of the planet because the, just the ultimate hand wave. Well, and, and again, like it, I can't think of a better word than capitulation because it's the president of the most powerful country to ever exist in the world. And he's shrugging his shoulders says, and goes, eh, what can I do? I know, you know, I, we couldn't possibly stand in the way of this absolutely natural phenomenon that definitely just comes about and not as the result of hundreds of years of us deliberately making choices like mm-hmm. even the whole free trade thing it's like mm-hmm. america was built on protectionism mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i like it's just a fact you hear about it in you know <laughs> Le- usap learning like, history in high school I yeah guess. yeah i know I, I think it's also interesting that we get another, uh, we get a mini realization of Josh's arc in this episode happening with Ryan, the intern, uh, who has mm-hmm. an interesting mm-hmm. turn where he is no longer Josh's intern, Ryan. Uh, at one point, Josh is going to meet with some senator and then Ryan's following him along and Josh is like, why the fuck are you following me? And he's doing like, his like, you're, get out of my way, you're annoying thing. And then he sits down in the meeting, he's like, oh, I'm actually the senator's legislative director now. I got promoted. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> yeah. and he's like, thanks for all the lessons. You taught me to not have any beliefs and to just do whatever the people in power tell me. Uh, and it fucking rules and I'm getting promoted. So thanks, Josh. And like, and it makes Josh realize like, oh, that's why I'm where I'm at too. <laughs> well, and, and I think in their conversation, he says something shitty about the senator and the guy's just like, Oh, nice to know how you really feel about him, Josh. Um, that's my boss. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. Yeah, Ryan gets... Ryan just owns Josh a lot in, like, the last few episodes. And I'm kind of... I kind of like it. I kind of like Ryan now. I think I stand yeah. Ryan. Oh, yeah. And he's got, like... He's got this natty pink shirt ensemble going on, which is, like, pink shirt, brown suit, which I feel is, like, a very 2004 <laughs> thing. But, yeah. <laughs> That takes me right back to college. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's take a quick break because there is a, one more thing we want to talk yes. about in this episode. But let's take a break and come back. The other kind of through story in this is an, a really kind of bizarre approach to the overall political topic of media conglomeration, which obviously at this point was kind of looming, but we're still in the internet wild, wild west right. in 2004. So right. it's a little... Which is one of the arguments one of the reporters says to argue why me it's totally not happening. <laughs> Because there, because there's eight thousand blogs, there's eight thousand blogs. There's no way they'll all get consolidated in the future. 
Yeah. Deeply ironic to be coming from newspapermen. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So there's <sighs> CJ gets a bug up her butt about the fact that it's something like an FCC, FCC regulation got introduced yeah. uh, that yeah. said instead of 45% of media market ownership, the limit is 37.39%. And she's like, why that exact number? That's such a stupid technocratic number, which it is. But then, you know, in her quest to find it out, figures out that, oh, it's the exact amount that Merck, which is like stand in for, you know, uh, Sinclair or whatever. That's the exact amount yeah. that Merck owns right now is 39.37%. So of course that's the exact amount they made it legal to own. Yeah. So, you know, obviously the FCC is captive to the media companies at this point. And so CJ goes on a tear right. so throughout she's, the rest of the so, episode. So she's got this juicy story now of like, wow, look, FCC corruption, big media conglomerate corruption with the government. Oh my God, what a juicy story. I'm going to do my job as press secretary and take this to the press. And, yeah. <laughs> and she picks like three of her favorite reporters and, and brings them into her office and is like, okay, I have got the juiciest story to you for you and pitches all the details of that what you, what you just explained. And all of them just start like scratching their heads and going like, yeah, that sounds like something for the business desk, CJ. You got anything else? <laughs> well, yeah. And there's... One of them, one of the reporters again is is Sam Robards again, the guy that conveniently leaked the article to her when we had the episode a mm-hmm, few mm-hmm. weeks ago. Yeah, I remember. So it's him. the same guy. Like, so that's nice. Like some character continuity here. Yes. But basically, CJ is telling these people that hey, if you criticize your bosses, things will work out. <laughs> right. And is shocked, shocked that none of them are eager to jump for the opportunity. <laughs> And as a press person, it's just like, CJ, do you not realize that this is the commonality that you have with these people? Like, imagine getting a story and going up at a press thing and being and criticizing the Bartlett administration's dealing, I don't know, for example, with free trade. Like, if you took a press conference and were like, wow, actually, the CWA is fighting this hard. And I think it sucks that they're going to lose three million jobs in the right. next 10 years. Right. Your ass would be fired. <laughs> Exactly, yeah, you'd be gone in an instant. Which is exactly what would happen to these reporters <laughs> if they ran with your fucking story. And they're not even in charge. They're like low man on the totem pole, yeah, really. exactly. So, so just like is... how you're never going to see an anti-GE story on MSNBC, you know, none of these people want to go back and report about anti-Merck corruption when they're all employed by Merck. Merck, yeah. <laughs> well... And she's making, there's a scene where she is making this point to, I think, Carol and so like a couple other people in her office. CJ's just kind of on a tear and she's literally going down the road of like saying the exact right thing about consolidation of these media outlets. And then, oh, the phone rings and it's Ben and we have to interrupt her. It's like, oh, mm, man stuff. I can't possibly be bothered yeah. by media consolidation because my man is on the phone. She's like, ah! It's, it's really stupid. Ben also shows up at one point and he's just, he's so bland. He's the most, yeah. like, he's 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 Riley from Buffy. He's just the boring boyfriend, <laughs> you know? And he's also like, kind of Where's Danny? I want Danny Cannon <laughs> back. Wow. I know. I'm like a big well, baby. 
he and so he comes in here and makes some stupid jokes and then leo comes through <laughs> and says oh hey i haven't met you uh you're ben right cj's nuts about you <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh when all the other characters are on screen and ben's not they should be saying where's ben <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and he also is just a a dumb jerk like he's advocating against his own interests talking about like oh well you know these reporting jobs they you know they're not going to be around forever but those of us who work hard are going to you know stick around it's like oh so just um yeah the meritocracy is going to save you newspaper reporter yeah just sure thing just a lot of funny uh failures to look forward with the future here uh in terms of the media people all around (laughs) Uh, the guy, yeah. the guy who says, "Oh, there's eight thousand blogs. You know, media monopolies are extinct." You know, <laughs> it's just like, oh my god. Uh, I mean, I, I guess at the time I could see how one would think that, but man, hindsight is twenty twenty on this one. Yeah, there was a lot of. I mean, it was. I'll, I'll cop it to was, it. It, it was, was there the was wild, a lot of hope. Yeah, the uh, early internet definitely was this like wild west, and I miss when we weren't just going to like the same five websites over and over and over again, where there were like ten thousand websites out there, and each one had at least something of of interest or value, and it, yeah. the web got you know increasingly web two point and corporatized and. And all that, and and now here we are, where all the blogs are Gizmodo, and all the websites are WordPress or Squarespace, or yeah. you know, it just and like Facebook's the gate gateway right. for everything right. for people above face- the age of forty, right? And Facebook links you into every account, and thus they can track everything. And uh here we here we all are in glorious Web three or whatever <laughs> they want to call it now. Well, and I did note that um, when CJ is describing this fundamental. Conflict. She used the word transnational to refer to like large media companies, which to me, and it may be because I'm rereading them, it's it's a Kim Stanley Robinson turn of phrase. And he's come back up um, like in the news and in the media sphere recently because his recent books have been like spot on kind mm. of techno dystopia. Yeah, I've got stuff. The, I've got the Mars series on my uh, wish list. I'm going to uh, start working on that. At some point. Yeah. But yeah, you're it's right. Pretty good. Transnational is not, you, they would normally say multinational or international. Exactly. Um, it is an odd choice of words. So I want to, you know, I wonder, maybe it is a reference to uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. Uh, other minor things we want to discuss about this episode. They do a little bit more foreshadowing of the Israel trip where we see Fitz Wallace again. Um, he's meeting with Leo and he's talking about how he's going on the Israel trip. Donna gets assigned to the Israel trip. Uh, she kind of has a whole subplot with Josh in this episode where she's like, Hey, you know, I've been doing this for a while now and I'm still not getting like looped in and on the big stuff. When do I get Mm -hmm. to do big stuff? And Josh kind of pushes back and, but then in the end he assigns her to the Israel trip as like, here, here's some big stuff you can do. Um, so this is all setting up for that Israel trip will end up being the season finale, I believe. Yeah, we also see Fitzwallis come back because he, in his civilian capacity now, has volunteered to go along and, like, advise on this delegation or something. So the admin is, like, glad-handing him to get him to do it. And he pushes, I think he pushes back on it a little bit, like, saying, like, this is probably, like, not the Uh, best idea. He thinks it's a waste of time. time. He basically is like, what, you know, what is Andy, you know, Toby's, you know, uh, children's mom? 
what is Andy actually going to accomplish by going over to Israel, you know? But, you know, hey, steps are steps, and yeah, something's better than nothing kind of thing. Yeah, and they say, okay, cool, thanks for your input, and do this for us anyway. Yeah, um, and he's like, okay, fine. <laughs> fine, fine. Not going to fight you on it. Speaking of Toby, we don't see Toby the entire episode. Yeah, Richard Schiff had a vacation, <laughs> vacation day, day, I guess, <laughs> or a few saved up. Uh, cause they apparently didn't need him in this one, but don't worry. He'll be there in the next episode to supply some of the worst material. So let's take a quick <laughs> yes. break and then we can dip into the next episode entitled no exit. This next episode, entitled No Exit, named after uh, the famous play by uh, Sartre, uh, where hell is other people, because this is a lockdown episode. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite types of episodes. Star Trek has done this, you know, like any sh- any show eventually has some episode where they're all locked in the building and you put characters who have conflict, who don't want to be around each other in the same room and you and you say, no, you can't leave this room. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a staple of genre television, I would say. Yeah, it's really great. And you can see, um, I, I just, I think at a high level, I just want to say that this episode is actually pretty fucking good. Like, yes. I, it's, it's yeah. really actually quite enjoyable to watch, which is pretty rare, especially and in you know season what the five. Se- the secret ingredient was Ooh, I do, more, I Lily do. Tomlin, more Lily Tomlin screen time. <laughs> yeah. uh, and also um, Kate Harper. Yes. Oh, we, we forgot to mention uh, in the last episode, they introduced the new deputy NSA. Um, right. It's like a it's like a two minute thing where she has this conversation with Bartlett where Bartlett's like. So this French treaty is like saying that we're like really bad about prisons and stuff. Do you agree, Kate? And she's like, well, yeah, we're kind of imperialists and stuff like that. And he's like, all right, get out of my office. <laughs> he's like, okay, take it under advisement. <laughs> Fuck off. Like, and so Kate Harper is played by Mary McCormick, who meow. Um, mm-hmm. More more screen time for her, although she does have just incredible bangs. <laughs> going on uh, no no knowing what ends up for this character that she ends up hooking up with will of all people it's just uh <laughs> yeah uh i mean that that's fine though we're male gazing hard here um <laughs> the the concept of the episode is actually quite interestingly telegraphed immediately because there is a very suspenseful use of extreme close-ups on body parts mm-hmm. right out the gate yeah yeah, so they're coming back from the White House Correspondents' Dinner uh, in the limo. It's the president, uh, Lily Tomlin, uh, and Charlie, and De- Debbie, sorry. Yeah, it's fine. Name. We know I who just, she is. <laughs> I just keep calling her Lily Tomlin. Uh, so they're all coming back from the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Uh, Debbie is sneezing her head off, and she claims it's just allergies, um, because people were wearing a lot of cologne and perfume, and she has a sensitivity to that sort of thing. 
Uh, and yeah, we get a lot of close-ups on like her sneezing and like noses and, and mouths and stuff like that, because it turns out, uh, as we cut to some like NSC guy who like monitors the white house germ levels, uh, <laughs> right when, yeah, <laughs> right when, uh, Debbie sneezes, uh, like the fucking germ alert spikes to the red zone and they have to crash the white house and start uh, issuing like decontamination protocols and stuff like that. And this may be the most topical episode we ever fucking covered I... in the entire show's run, giving <laughs> the fuck goddamn pandemic that's going on right now. They even break out the blue medical masks in like the first five minutes of the episode. Well, and so I've recently returned from flying for the first time during the pandemic and holy fucking shit, people are gross. And my anxiety was through the goddamn roof the entire time. So Emma and I are sitting on the couch watching this last night and we're just hooting and hollering because it's got like, oh, it's fomite transmission. Oh, we got masking. We got like the scans. We got, it's just incredible. Nasal swab. Nasal swab. We got, we got everything, baby. It is, it is a COVID episode before COVID was even a twinkle in a bat's eye. That's right. It's great. Before Dr. Fauci illegally told the Wuhan lab to gain a funk virus. Yeah, but, but before we leaked it from Fort Derrick, yeah. uh, before all of that, West Wing, with its predictive programming, was getting us ready for the... Uh, actually, what they're really worried about is the dreaded anthrax, which was, of course, bum, the concern bum, at the time. Bum. Yeah. Um, uh, they, you know, they worry about anthrax uh, for the better part of the first bit of the episode. Um but then, then, then the worry shifts to an aerosol form, and then it gets more COVID-y at that point. They're not worried about white powder. They're worried about uh, that Debbie got sprayed by mm. uh, mm-hmm. someone at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Like, right, you know, she thought it was perfume, but it could have been dun-dun-dun bioterrorism. Yeah, so, and let's see. I think... What really sets this episode apart is not only like the kind of like the extra creative use of um, like the directorial choices of the close ups mm-hmm. and kind of the, the transmission. Uh, yeah, the, the cinematography is really good there's, overall. There's like some there's very almost tropish, but we all kind of know what it signifies, like lower shots looking up at like a stark um, like concrete bunker thing with medical tables and a doctor. And it's very just right. like. It is. Yeah. It aligns perfectly with what we think, you know, yeah, like a World War Z or a Resident exactly. Evil type it's, of setup. Yeah, is. it's or it's contagion. It's every, you know, outbreak movie you've ever seen kind of thing where, yeah, it's uh yeah. So that part of it is all really good and interesting and very compelling television. So then they since now the White House is crashed, we have set up our other subplots in three lockdown rooms. We have. Josh and new um, deputy um, NSA. Mary McCormick. Yeah. Yeah. Kate. Sorry, Kate. We have Josh and Kate in one room. We've got CJ and Donna in another room. And in the shit tier room, we have Will and Toby. Well, we also have Leo and Abby. Oh, right. And Leo and Abby in the residence. Correct. So these are our lockdown subplots along with uh, the president, Debbie, uh, Charlie, Ron Butterman, and the doctor. Yeah, like the real, like the, the nucleus of it, because that's the person that they are clearly that's, all mostly concerned about. Right, yeah. They're, they're, so this, this, when they get down to like the, the medical room, they're, you know, the doctor guy there, who is, as you say, one of those guys who appears in everything. Yeah. Um, 
I can't I can't remember off the top of my head what I recognize him from, but yes. Um, he, the doctor guy starts asking the president all these questions of like, Hey, are you experiencing any shortness of breath? Any, you know, itching on the face or burning sensation or anything like that. And the president has zero symptoms whatsoever, but Debbie over in the corner is exhibiting like all of these symptoms as he's listing them and just refuses (laughs) to speak up and is like, and should be like, Hey, um, I have all of that and I'm here in the same room with him. But instead is like, oh, no, don't mind me dying in the corner. You just tend to the president. It's okay. (laughs) No, save the president. Yeah. Like, we're dealing with a potential transmissible disease here. If Debbie has it, Debbie, you need to speak up. You need to let the people know. Thankfully, eventually the doctor figures out, like, um... You say you have allergies, Debbie? <laughs> and is immediately, like, red-flagged about, like, maybe I need to look into this one. <laughs> yeah, so the actor's name is Reed Diamond. Um, I recognize him, I think, from... So he was in Dollhouse. He was in Dollhouse. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I, I was going to I got to it a second before yep. you did. Which is a great show. Love Eliza Dushku. Whew. Yes. Um, yeah. But he's like that, in everything. Yes. He's in, um, Emma knew him from, he's in Moneyball. He plays one of the coaches um, opposite right. Brad Pitt. Um, and, you know, he's just like does five or six episodes of each series because he's a very clean cut, like blonde American boy. Yeah, you can put him in anything. You put him in scrubs, he's a doctor. You put him in a suit, he's a lawyer. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, so that is is like an interesting and fun time with the actual pathogen storyline. But the real shit happens in the breakout rooms. And I just want to say up front that I don't give a shit about Will and Toby. I think you said the (laughs) same thing. Yeah, um, Will and Toby's one Holt is sucks because it's all Toby just being still mad that Will took the VP job. Like, he's still mad about it. It's been months. It's it's really stupid. And they have nothing important to say because Will is 100% right about everything. Right. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Like, he was right to take that job. He was right to start grooming the VP to be president because this is still an era where that happens most of the time. Yeah. And, like, obviously, Bob, Bingo Bob, is going to be the next guy in line. And, like, why wouldn't you want to hop on that train when Will is still, like, in his 30s and, like, still has a political career ahead of him? I mean, it's a rocket to the top. That's all we really... Yeah, that's all we need to say about that. And there's there's sucks, and we're not going to talk about it anymore. Yeah. So, the next one, I think, up the tiers, the B tier, is Leo and Abby together. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Which is also interesting because in a parallel to Josh and Will, uh, Abby's still pretty mad at Leo. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Big mad. So there's also, there's there's it's, it's some really just, so she's basically going back to practicing medicine. Um, right. Whether the White has licensed or not. And he's kind of like, oh, well, um, okay. Right. And, and now past, we're past like just giving vaccines to kids, which is like super easy PR spinnable. And now she actually just wants to go like work regular hours at a free clinic somewhere. Yeah. And he's like, well, you'll be treating like junkies and stuff like that. That's going to oh, look my God. really bad. Yeah. And I'm like, what? I'm sorry, why? Why does the first lady treating junkies look bad? Like, uh, do junkies not deserve treatment? That seems to be the underlying assumption here, Leo. I mean, that's that's 100% what it is. And so she just, like, she doesn't take any of her shit. Thankfully, she is a fucking doctor. And is like, like, no, you goddamn idiot. I'm going to treat the people who need to be treated. That's what doctors do. (laughs) 
Yeah. And so there's a very, very minor scene where she takes a pill that is uh-huh. not revealed. Presumably. Yeah. It's presumably yeah. either a tranquilizer Xanax. or, you know, something. I think Leo says explicitly. I think Leo explicitly calls it out as at Xan- oh, as okay. Xanax at one point. Okay, and this is but, like a nod to I think a potential road that the plot could eventually go down, but I think they bail on it if I'm not mistaken. I think you're a hundred percent right. Yeah, and she's basically like, "Look, I I do this and I do the medicine work because that was my deal." of coming back after Zoe, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause she was fully within her rights with after Zoe to be like, okay, I'm taking my family and we're fucking off to a secret service guarded compound and I'm never coming back to the white house again. Yeah. I'm going to do so, what I need to, to protect my family and sorry, fuck you guys. So, so her compromise is okay. I will come back, but I'm going to do all my medical work to distract me from the nightmare. That is my husband being the president and I'm also going to have to take some Xanax now and then. Because <laughs> yeah, it's deal, deal really fucking, it. it freaks me out being here all the time. Yeah, fucking, fucking deal with it. And then Leo does sort of have a moment where he's like, hey, as a former alcoholic slash pill popper myself, you know, maybe take it easy. Which is what you said is like leading down the potential road for that kind of a storyline. But it never really materializes. Which I like because it gives them it gives them options. It's nice to see the writers yeah. thinking ahead. Yeah, you know, it could be that she just takes a Xanax every once in a while and she's fine. Or it could spiral into like, hey, the first lady has a drug problem, and that's interesting material to mine at least. So it was it was a potential setup. Um, further up the tiers, a tier interaction is Kate and Josh. Um, mm-hmm. Their and their conversations are mostly about. The fact that Josh thinks he's a big swangin' dick, and in fact, Kate Harper's clearance is above his. She gets informed <laughs> right. of things before he does, and she makes all right. the decisions. Right, and she knows way, way more than he knows, and he and he thinks he knows everything. So this is a real like sticking point to him. Yeah, there's it really a, gets un, un, under his craw, as one would say. Emma pointed out of an extremely kind of like subtle but really well done thing where the first lockdown ping comes through. It goes, they're standing oh, so like, good. they're, so they're good. on the threshold of um, uh, Josh's, Josh's office. office. And uh-huh. she, her phone goes off and she grabs a case of bottled water outside the yep. door. And Josh is yep. like, um, so are you thirsty are you or thirsty? something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's like, nope, I just realized we're about to be in this room for a few hours and it would be smart to have water. And but like, she doesn't say that. Yeah, she like steps across the threshold and the guy comes and locks them down. She's like, water? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like, I've done this. I've done this before. I know the drill. When you when you realize you're about to get locked down, yeah. just grab some fucking water. And, and then Josh's phone goes off and he's like, you're locked down. It's like, oh. Yeah, hmm. yeah, like like a good minute after her hers went off. Yeah, which is of great. course the whole, the whole point of this. So yeah, what's great is just he's constantly asking her questions like, "So where were you?" and like for the last few years, and she's like, "Overseas," which is I've I've talked to friends who are like you know code word level clearance, and that's always how they refer to that kind of shit. <laughs> and he's like he's like, "Well, overseas is pretty big. Where were you exactly?" And she's like, "Nice weather we're having, isn't it?" <laughs> Yeah. Like, do, do you not get it? We cannot discuss this. Yeah, it's, he's like, I'm, it's like, it's fine. I'm code word level clearance. She's like, not this code, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's cool because, and again, within 
if, if, if Josh's character is consistent, nothing will drive him crazier than things that he knows exist, but he can't right. technically know about. Can't, can't know about or influence in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. So we have Josh being a little yeah. bit of a big baby. Um, yeah. Which is uh, and also the implica- the implication that Kate did some fucking shit mm-hmm. when she was CIA. Yeah. <laughs> Probably did a few coups or some shit, you know? Each of her bangs is one man's life. um so going going to s tier room fuck yeah yo s tier room we're we're at donna and cj like i i have both both in their evening gowns to start with too yeah because they're coming from an event like um Mm -hmm. you know whatever from the correspondence correspondence dinner dinner, yeah yeah. and right oh and the other thing with josh and kate is that kate nixed one of josh's jokes from the president's speech and he's real pissed about it Right, and so her her first reason is that the joke sucked, which I think he takes harder, <laughs> yeah. much harder than the actual truth, really. Uh, and then the actual truth is that, oops, uh, it was a joke about Panama, and they're, like, having a nuclear submarine go through the Panama Canal, like, nine months from now, and apparently that is enough as, of a security concern to kill the joke. Which is ridiculous, but okay. Yeah, I know. Fine. <laughs> Whatever. But, but sure, whatever. Yeah, whatever. But yeah, she she tells him that at the end, and that's supposed to be their like, oh, we bonded, and now we trust each other a little bit kind of moment. Yeah, she lets slip just enough to you know get his mm-hmm. confidence. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So holy shit, CJ and Donna um, basically Woo-hoo! in in their evening wear, like Donna's in this fabulous blue dress, and CJ's like you know kitted out, and so they're just kind of chilling most of the time, but they're talking about, I mean. It's very close to be very being very good, but of course they're talking about boys. A little. They're 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 half talking about Donna's career for part of it too. Yeah, which I think is interesting but because which, it's which then ropes in Josh because he's such a huge part of Donna's career. Well, so and that's where I think the the only one the one note I have about their little thing is that it's it's the two women talking about. Granted, they're talking about boys, but part of it is about how Josh is holding Donna back. And the other part of it is that CJ isn't letting herself or CJ is holding herself back. Right. It's just a really interesting dynamic and turns out it was written by a woman. So cool. Yeah. Good job show. Good job for having two female characters talk to each other and not entirely about a man. Well, <laughs> because because CJ's being kind of a kind of a dick to Donna, being like, "It's you are holding yourself back because you like Josh. Like it is all Josh. It's Josh's fault that you're in this." And Donna's like, that "Oh you no, that you didn't like that you didn't hook up with the cute press boy at the correspondence dinner or something." Yeah, and then Donna does the real fucking like the dig. Of being like, and she, I think her line is, well, CJ, you know, you're going to be fine because you know that after tonight you're going home to like a microwave dinner. Fill this damn canteen. You know, you can't blame Josh. It's not his job to I come. don't blame Josh. It takes two of you. You choose to stay. It's the White House. It's not the White House. It's him. Okay. I don't really Why didn't you get a drink with the guy from the post-intelligencer? You know what's on your desk. You know what's on Josh's desk. It wouldn't wait till Monday. Why did you cancel your camping trip? If we're going to be out of here in a few minutes, you're going home to a rerun of Letterman. And CJ's like, whoo, boy. And Donna's like, oh, fuck. I, I'm so yeah, yeah. sorry. I fucked that Don- up so bad. Yeah. 
I, I love Donna's character trait of just going like a little bit over the line and then like backing up five steps. <laughs> yeah. And it I'm le- like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> just the interaction's really good. You know, I'm not going to replicate it here, but like if you want to watch some pretty decent like character development and interaction with a power dynamic going on, this scene really, really yeah. spoke to me. So it reminds me of uh, Donna when she was with like. Um, the drunken first lady and um yes when they're drinking and, on the couch and amy mm-hmm. and amy and and them and then donna also says something that's like one toke over the line and and then immediately regrets it <laughs> yeah whoops yeah yeah so yeah that's all that's all really good stuff and like yeah this was a very entertaining and engaging episode of television i didn't find myself like looking at the time remaining in the video player (laughs) going like oh fuck how much is left in this one like i was i was engaged throughout um like i said the secret sauce is more lily tomlin uh like they they cut back to the medical room at one point and she's just like web mding their symptoms <laughs> it's very prescient you know they describe yeah. a lot of these things as dramatic elements but it's like no actually this is um pretty close to reality <laughs> yeah um so we find out uh in the main room that it is not anthrax they're worried about but a bacterium with a scientific name that i cannot remember it's tularemia uh, it's tularemia thank you for remembering and uh the doctor basically layman's out for us that it is uh plague yeah so like, very bad like the the plague <laughs> yeah so um they the end they end up going through like a whole rigmarole where they have to hit the decontamination showers and they you know they hazmat their old clothes away they give them some fancy white house jumpsuits which fucking rule and i want one. Oh yeah for sure like they even got like the three stripes on the arm so you know you can kind of look they, like a slav it's great. they look like like the japanese high school student uh sweatsuits <laughs> yeah, that they yeah. wear for like gym gym and stuff but like fancy and for adults and all white house kitted out i i like them uh so charlie debbie and and the president are now owners of them and uh when they're worried about the the uh plague thing they're like okay well we can start you on some like antibacterials and stuff like that and they say okay all right so we're all good now we're gonna let you go hey if you run into anyone on the way up charlie or debbie you just say this was a false alarm okay and then we'll all have the real talk about it later and they're like, okay, okay. So they have to go off and lie to all their coworkers and friends. <laughs> yeah, it's just a drill, we promise. And then, so uh, Ron Butterman hangs behind with the president. And then they exchange some words where they're like, no, this was not a drill, actually. This this was the real thing. Good thing we caught it. We'll, we'll be sure to be more careful next time kind of thing. And, and so it turns out, no, this was not a drill uh like that the president explains that this uh, sorry I, I think we left out that part the president explains that this is all a drill and that they were just testing uh both charlie and debbie and the response team and everyone to see how they would do in case of an actual contagion but then butterman lets it slip that no no this really was an actual contagion yeah so there's a a brief scene at the end where debbie walks outside and is talking on her cell phone to somebody presumably I don't know. A relative, a relative or something. Or something. And she's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And then there's a cut to where after she has been assured that it was just a drill, there's a like a decon team 
working with the beast in the parking lot, the in, limo. In full hazmat suits. In full hazmat suits, suits, suits stuff and we, we things. We get to see some guys in full hazmats in this episode, which again makes it very COVID topical. Yeah. <laughs> and they've got, they, they even had the, the purple respirator cartridges, baby. <laughs> Emma, yeah. Emma stopped and was like, look, yeah. honey, your you respirator. Saw, you saw the respirator <laughs> crew at the end. Yeah. When, they, when they're showing the hazmat guy, he's got yeah. his respirator right there. So go well, go respirator crew. That's right. We were so the, she sees this thing and it's intended to be like actually this was real. But if it was a drill simulation, they would simulate everything. They would have tripped right. the alarm with a false presentation right. of additional toxins in the air right. or whatever. Right, but that didn't happen because the alarm trip happens exactly when Lily Tomlin sneezed. So, like, it definitely was a real contagion that she spread with, you know, that got sprayed on her. Yeah. Is definitely the implication of the of the final message of the episode. Well, and we're, we're supposed to, like, be like, oh, so Lily, like, Debbie gets it when she walks outside. Even though, if this was real life, right. those would be they simulated. They would be doing that anyway. They would be doing that anyway. Yeah. They would simulate the cleanup. They would simulate everything, and they would also tell them, even in then, to tell everyone it was just a, a just a drill or just a false alarm or what have you. Yeah, so that's the only real slip up. It's just like, oh, I'm, come on, guys! Like, if you're really digging in on yeah. this, like everything is faked here. If you yeah. do that, it's top to bottom. Right. Which is, uh, yeah, which Bartlett explains when he's explaining the drill. He's like, yeah, we had to fake everything. No one could know. Not even Charlie. The only people who knew were like the people who initiated it. And, like, maybe the doctor. And Ron Butterman. Yep. And the president, I guess. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was a great time. Yeah. Good, good episode. Stuff. So, let's uh, let's wrap up this segment here, and we'll come back and wrap up the podcast. It's y'all turn like Detroit Red, but his head had an ultra perm. The long walk, I burned your bare heels, so the on your boots. The game camouflage like army suits, but I can see it more clear, because I came with the coupe in here. Ring the alarm and form the troops. Send them out into the world, go to war on the fluke. Out of eye with the enemy, you sworn to shoot. Now I'm coming at your neck, sick of hearing something wrong with me. Motherfucker, something wrong with you. When the chief just way too smart to question, the enemy the brothers of a dark complexion the governments of the world is shark infested they have the own weaponry like shark and heston man look it gets low man and welcome back uh before we wrap up there were a few final thoughts i had about the no exit episode which is that i lied a little when we got to access and i said oh look they're introducing all these new aids to cj that we're never gonna see again because lo and behold we see one of them again (laughs) when uh the uh the obviously played as homosexual uh black kid aid uh is mad at donna because he is uh, getting bumped from the Israel trip in place of Donna when Josh decided to give Donna the Israel trip. Uh, she's taking over CJ's AIDS place. Yeah, and there's a little bit more on that in this episode where like Donna is being prepped and the culmination of her talk with CJ is that Josh is giving, quote unquote, giving this to her as like a way to advance, but it turns out that the only thing she's doing or there's just more scut work. So right. Donna's role, right. although it will be in a different place, she's not actually doing anything new or getting any contacts no. or being promoted in any no. way. CJ spells it out very well when she's like, hey, if he cared about your career, you would have been out of this job three years ago. Yeah. And 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 she's like, but it makes perfect sense because you're so hyper competent. If you were my assistant, I wouldn't want to lose you either. And and Donna gets realizes like, oh, yeah, if you're 
actually hyper competent for your boss, he has no reason to ever replace you. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. I mean, the only other thing that I just specifically remember sticking with me is there's a line that they use where uh, Leo says, we run a country, we deal in abstractions. And I feel like that is either this is stuck in my brain from when the first time I watched this show or when it was first on. But it also seems like it's a very, I don't know, it's a very like baby fash type of line. So I'm trying to figure out where I know it from maybe in a different abstract sense because it sounds like it's either like an Ayn Rand thing or something else dumb. But I don't know, it just kind of stuck with me. It's one of those lines that's used to imply that they're hard men making hard decisions, you know, and and that it has to be this way. Yeah, we have to to limit our perspective or else we'd be overwhelmed, um, Mm -hmm. so to speak. If we... If we considered all the all the possible good things we could actually do, no, we have to limit ourselves to the small scope of only bad things. <laughs> on on that side, I think there is another moment I want to remark on. They're like, there's something about talking to the public and communicating to them about the percentages of the media consolidation that are being allowed. And there's this whole backlash of like, you can't communicate to the voters percentages. It's like, right? What? Not not <laughs> basic numeracy. Oh no. How dare we try yeah. to tell people a percentage? <laughs> yeah, I think I think most people can grok a percentage, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, nope, the only I number I need is one. It is either a I, thing I, or not. I think they understand when they're in the grocery store and they see 50% off, you know, what that means. I think they can they can put two and two together on that one. <laughs> <laughs> like, all numbers are lies. Like, no, dude, I don't need larger numbers than my than I can count. Fuck you. It's uh, springing off that. This reminds me that we, we didn't discuss this, but in the first episode. So CJ's ultimate result resolution to the media storyline is she pulls this dumb, stupid fucking stunt. Oh, yeah. With the actual press room where she removes all but 37.39% of the physical chairs that were bolted to the ground. And then the press comes in and is like, whoa, there's only like seven chairs. And she's like, that's right. I gave you one chair each for each media conglomerate that owns you. I guess you'll have to play tic-tac-toe or whatever to see who pick gets the chair. And then she walks off with a smug look on her face and then goes to Leo's office and is like, oh, don't worry, I'm putting it back tomorrow and I'll pay for all the contractor costs out of my own pocket, thus making this a completely pointless gesture. Yeah, it's just... It's it's the most liberal shit I can think of. Oh, I'm going to do this, but also, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's yeah, it's 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 the sending 90,000 roses to Nancy Pelosi kind of thing. Like, okay, what have you accomplished? <laughs> if we have we really moved anything here. <laughs> yeah. And then and then her and Leo fight about who's going to actually pay for it. Where Leo's like, "No, I'll pay for it. I'll do the noble thing." And I'm like, "This is just the most liberal bullshit." Of, like, who's going to whip out the checkbook? That's what solves problems. Yeah, just throw some money at the problem you yourself created. And, yeah, I don't know. And and what did we actually accomplish here? But, yeah, that, that pretty much wraps up my thoughts on these two particular episodes. Yeah, thanks for sticking with us. There's a lot of ground to cover. And, again, I would highly recommend watching No Exit. It's one of the rare yeah, ones that I will say... It's. And it's super topical with COVID. You will, <laughs> you will, you will laugh and laugh. I promise. Yeah, it is the sometimes time. intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening. 
Uh, as always, you can drop a comment in either of our threads. We love listener feedback, comments, questions, what have you. Uh, even if you just want to say, hell yeah, just drop on by. Uh, if you found the show another way, hello, welcome. And you can email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. Which is nice. And we will see you next time for another couple of episodes of The West Wing here on The Worst Wing. Bye-bye. Stay safe. Stay safe. But don't ask me to come on 